Great to see you all this morning as we come in this busy time of year. And uh, I want to just encourage you as we, as we come to Christmas time. And uh, I want to encourage you to really reach out and invite somebody to Christmas Eve. We just have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity uh, to share the good news of Jesus. Uh, we're connected with some people in Calcutta, uh, India, who have a ministry, and they sent, uh, they sent their schedule for, uh, for December to pray for it. And I, I emailed the guy back, and I said, man, they, they've got like two events a day, every day. I said, boy, boy that's really heavy duty. He said, in, in India... Uh, it's a ch- it's a time that we're expected that we're k- kind of it's okay to celebrate the way they do and all that they do and so they said uh, they said to me we've got to take advantage of the opportunity and can I say to you the same thing we have an opportunity at Christmas when a lot of people will come to church when they won't come in any other time of year and we're preparing um, what we trust will be a uh, an inspirational service on Christmas Eve, and uh, you can help us through prayer and through inviting uh, your friends, your relatives, people who perhaps don't go to church but would come at that time, and we'll ask God to do some wonderful things in in showcasing his son and what he has done for us, and uh, hopefully to hear that call of Christ uh, to come and put their trust in him. Well, uh, there are important questions that we have to ask at times about life and about what we're doing uh, and, and the questions that we have to wrestle with. And I found that little children can plague you with this question. It's time to go to bed. Why? Brush your teeth. Why? Um, you have to have a bath. Why? Um, you've got to put your toys away. Why? Well, you know, when, when you become a, a young person then, you don't lose that question because that's a question that can sometimes challenge authority and, and look for reasons uh, for doing what they want to do. For instance, you can't stay overnight at your friend's house. Why? Why? What's the, what's the matter with that? You're not going out until your homework is done. Why? Duh. And, and, and adults similarly employ this. And I found that many times when adults ask the question why, very often God is at the heart of that. They're trying to figure out why life is as hard as it is, why, why they lost their loved one, uh, why they have problems, why, why their job is insecure, why their money is not there. And in, in their pain, they're asking God, why, 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 what is it? And sickness and death and all the kind of things that happen. That question why provokes the reason for something. What is the purpose for something? And for some people, uh, Christians and non-Christians, that question haunts them. Um, Or there's this kind of imposition about Christmas. There's this kind of, uh, what do do we have to do Christmas for? And and a person may not be a believer, and uh, because it's Christmas at their office, they're having a Christmas get-together, and they're having a gift exchange. And, and they say, like, why, why, why? 
What do we have to go through all of that? Um, and and the saying, I, I don't care about that. What is the what is the whole point of this thing? Having to travel to uh, for meals to relatives and buy them gifts and put up with people that you'd rather not put up with. Why? What's the meaning? What's the purpose of this? All because some baby was born 2,000 years ago in an obscure little village in a, in a small Middle Eastern country. Uh, what's the deal with that? What, what's, what, what's the purpose of all of that? And I think that's an excellent question that we need to probe as well uh, to understand what is it that we, what's so important about what we're doing? I want to suggest to you that we live in a dangerous world. We live in a world that there's, well, the threat of violence, physical violence. It's on the street. People are being shot. People who are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. There are uprisings and, and, uh, there are gang wars and there are even places like Hong Kong where, uh, there's problems with people and, and the, uh, uh, the government and, uh, and all of what's happening where people are getting hurt. There's sickness and disease and cancer, and, and it just seems like we hear of another case. Somebody else has it, someone else. All kinds of physical maladies. There's struggles with mental health and, and, and people going through such tough, difficult things, a deep, chronic depression, and they can't dig themselves out, and it, it, life is just so miserable, and there are people battling schizophrenia and Alzheimer's and all kinds of mental uh, ch- challenges. And then there's relational strife, that uh, marriage that you thought would go the distance and it would be a happily ever after, and now a family is torn and the fairy tale dreams are all over and it's a nightmare experiencing the death of a relationship. And then there are addictions that people have. We were down to Toronto Alliance Church uh, um, a, a week or two ago. And somebody was telling me of, of that it just seemed that there were a lot of people who were drunk coming for help that night. And there was one person and, and somebody was down on the floor holding him up. They pulled out of his, his sock rubbing alcohol. He, was got, he would drink anything he could drink uh, to anesthetize that pain that he was experiencing. And here they were trying to get some food to him, trying to keep him awake, trying to get him settled out. Uh, It's so tough to watch things like that. And now you've got to be worried about not only you getting a virus, you have to worry about your computer getting a virus. And your computer, uh, people who try to hack into it or steal your identity with some kind of clever scheme and to bilk people out of their life savings. Just wherever you turn, it seems there's, there, there are problems. There's concern for the environment, uh, warnings about potential devastation from climate change. Our world is not always a friendly place to be in, even with things like tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes that have claimed the lives of millions of people. And then there's death. No respecter of persons. No, doesn't matter your age your geography, your economic status, your, your intelligence, none of that means anything. All of us will die at some point. We live in a dangerous world. 
But I want to say it wasn't always this way. It, it, this world wasn't, didn't function like this. You see, when God created this world, these dangerous conditions didn't exist. God created a paradise, a masterpiece that would provide for all of our needs. God, you see, in, he gave us a good creation. In, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we see that perfect, wonderful environment where God formed a man from the dust of the earth. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became an animated, vital uh, human being. And he was endowed with a strong, healthy body and, and an incredible intellect. And God put him in this garden to enjoy it and to uh, work it and develop it. And the man was asked to uh, give, uh, designate names for all of the different animals. And through this process, God was preparing him for a very special gift. The man was asked to do all of this and, and God made, for me, one of the phenomenal statements in Genesis 2 and verse 18. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. He's in a perfect environment. He's with God. I mean, what more can you want to be in that environment and to have God? And yet, some, something in the way God created us, he said, it's not good that the man should be alone. And through this process, God was preparing him for this incredible gift. Um, and, and that would be a companion. He prepared him for a woman. And so he anesthetized him and he took something of the side of him and through that fashioned something incredibly beautiful and wonderful, something that fulfilled all of, uh, of what, would, what would be lacking with him. There would be a match, this would be a match made in heaven. And here they were, as scripture says, they were both naked and there was no self-consciousness. There was no shame. And he says in, in uh, Genesis 1 and verses 26 to 28 that he created this humankind uh, in the image and in the likeness of himself. They were to fill the earth and they were to uh, express their, their uh, work through, create, through uh, uh, forming and making something of this raw material that they had outside of the garden. They were to, they were to take dominion over all of the, the, uh, the earth. And they were to work with God in this process. God says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, develop it, and uh, we see that happening. And God stands back at the completion of his creation and he looks at it and God declares, it is very good. Everything was in perp perfect harmony. The man and the woman had a wonderful, intimate relationship with God. They talked with God. They walked with God in the garden. They had this incredible, unified relationship with one another. It was Truly a match made in heaven. And their relationship it was in harmony with a deep sense of fulfillment. And their relationship was to the creation was likewise harmonious. Everything was as God wanted. There was no fear. There was no trepidation. 
There was, however, one prohibition that God left for them. He said, I want you to enjoy everything that's here, but there's one tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, I want you uh, to, to understand that you are not to eat the fruit of that tree. God left, if you will, a kind of a test for them, whether they would do what God had called them to do. And, and so here they were, forbidden to eat from that fruit. And uh, he did say this. He said, if you eat that fruit, you will surely die. You will certainly die. Here in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, everything was wonderful. Everything was as it should be. But then there was a day that all of that changed. A day when things went terribly wrong. There was a rebellion. That is that they were confronted with this beautiful, upright serpent who spoke. It seemed quite harmless, and yet it should have been a, 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 an alarm bell ringing that these animals don't talk the way this animal does. And so we see what happens in Genesis chapter 3, and it says, Now the, servant was more, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had, God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't that interesting? Um, did God really say? Let's put some doubt into your mind about what God really told you. Did God really say you can't eat uh, from any tree in the garden? So not only is the word of God uh, questioned, also the, the compassion and the goodness of God. Did God put you in this beautiful place with all this vast array of things to eat and say to you, you can't eat anything? Is that the kind of God? Is that what he did? Well, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Then she decided to add to the word of God. And you must not touch it, or you will die. Now he said, you shall surely, certainly you will die. And he didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said you couldn't eat from it. And so here they were. Satan, and we don't, we don't learn that this is Satan actually till far into the, into the back of the Bible. In, in Revelation, we find out that the serpent was actually Satan. He said, you'll certainly not die. You will certainly die, God said. He said, you will certainly not die. So now he's just outright um, going against what God says and refuting that at all. And for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and so now... <laughs> God is holding up. Do you know God is jealous? He doesn't want you to be like him. So what he's, he, he doesn't want you to have that kind of knowledge and wisdom, so he's keeping it from you. God is not good. He's, he's holding back from you. And if you'll listen to me, uh, I'll, I'll help you. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together 
and made coverings for themselves. Here they were in this perfect environment, enjoying everything God had for them in their relationship with him, with the, with the, uh, with the creation. And now, in an instant, they made a very uh, terrible decision that would impact them in, in very negative ways. Now, there are consequences when you do that. And so we find out something about the consequences that are involved in this. First off, the relationship that they had with God changed and was broken. The relationship they had with God was broken. Immediately, there's a recognition that they're naked. They understand that there's something. Now there's shame. Now they're looking to find a covering. And this beautiful relationship that they had with God, now they're running from God. That relationship has been fractured. It's been broken. And time that they had with God was so sweet. They delighted being in his presence. His love, uh, they, they just, the time they spent was so wonderful. They looked forward to that. When they heard his voice, they would run to him. There was no lack of trust. There was no hesitancy. But now there's a feeling of shame and deep guilt. And they're running from God. They're hiding from God. Let me ask you a question. Are you running from God? Are you hiding from God? Are you trying to stay away from him? Now, when we find ourselves rebelling against God, our, our inclination is not to run to him. But there was something very terrible with this relationship. And, uh, and, and I know what it's like if you've sinned and you don't feel like going to church. You don't feel like praying. You don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like worshiping God. And, and, and it's, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. And here they are in this state of brokenness. Hearing God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid themselves from him. And the Lord called, where are you? I heard you in the garden, and so I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid, running from God. Terrible. He said, who told you that you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. There's something that that relationship was broken and separated. It was was a terrible thing to go with. Well, there were other consequences. There was pain in childbirth. What What was to be something that was very pleasant and easy? Just having babies. It ain't that way anymore. I've I spent time by my wife's side, laboring for three children. And uh, it was in that moment I was thankful to God that I wasn't a woman because I don't think I could do what she was doing. But God said, that which is natural, that which should have been easy, that will change, and there'll be pain in childbirth. The woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Well, not just that. There was marital stress, too. He said this. The the man said, 
the <laughs> here, here's here's a, a couple who are like they're like that, and now something has gone wrong, and so God is questioning. Did you do this? What happened? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, I didn't choose her. It was you, you put her here with, she ate some of the fruit and I ate it. Now he's throwing her under the bus. He, he, now he's not sticking up for them. Now there's not harmony. Now, now there's not that. And he would go on to say this, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What's he talking about? We, we find from Genesis 4 and verse 7 what it means with Cain and Abel. Your desire will be for your husband. Your desire will be to rule over him, to master him. To, to, and, and here's the problem. He's going to rule over you because he's bigger and stronger. And so we see this harmony now broken down and we see what happens um, in a very terrible way that they experienced things as a couple in relationship that, that were just terrible compared to what God had for them. And not only that, there were cosmic consequences on the earth as well. Uh, in fact, what God says to Adam is, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plant of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Something changed. What was to be a, pl- a pleasure as they would be caretakers of the garden and the earth and they would expand it through this cultural uh, imperative that they were given. And, and now it was, it's going to be difficult and, and onerous and instead of easy and a pleasure, it's, he's going to come up with all kinds of things in the environment that are going to be nasty to deal with. I remember once... Uh, going out and buying a little plant. It cost me about three or four dollars. And I thought, I'm going to grow this little plant and uh, it's tea. What kind, of, uh, what kind of tea is it? The nighttime tea. Chamomile. It was chamomile. So I went out and bought it. I picked up my little thing. I got out of the car and I looked at the crack in my driveway. And I looked at the plant and the crack I said, that's, I just paid money for what is growing in my driveway. And, and I, I, I look and I see sometimes, I, you know, you try and garden and you do something with the garden and, and it's not going. I remember I had an older gentleman who was, who was a farmer for years, uh, lived to 104. And I said, John, tell me, what's the matter with my, what's, well, I'm not growing produce like It'll flower and it's on. He gave me some, some suggestions and I tried my best to make it grow. And then you see, then you see on the freeway where, where the, 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 the blacktop comes against the cement and you see plants growing in the heat of the day with cars and going. And, and you realize we live in a broken world and it didn't just stop there. Um, it, it extended throughout all creation, and we we talked about some of those things. I I told you before I'm a bit of a 
Nat Geo Wild Freak. Gerda said, oh, you're not watching those shows again, are you? And I, and I watch, and you'll see this animal predation. You see, you see uh, you know, a little, uh, a little uh, animal, and you see the, the lion coming up, and you go, oh, no, 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 no. And he grabs the thing and sinks his teeth into it, and then other ones come, and they tear it apart alive. And I'm thinking... This is not the way that it was supposed to be. This isn't how it was to be in, in the beginning. And even the weather disturbances that we see, all of creation has been affected by it. And uh, we read this, the Apostle Paul talks in, uh, in uh, Romans 8, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Why? Because the world is broken, the environment is broken, for the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be liberated from its bondage. It's in bondage to decay and needs to be brought into the freedom and the glory of God. And creation is groaning under the weight of the situation that we find ourselves. Well, it's also beyond that. It's we know that the, he, he says the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Wanting to be delivered from that. Well, there's another problem and that's that we ended up with a heart that resists God, a heart that doesn't submit to God, a heart that doesn't love God. Jeremiah would say, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We are bent on doing wrong. We have this inclination to that. The trouble is we're fundamentally opposed to God. We're in rebellion to him. Our very personality is that which resists God. We don't want to, we don't naturally now desire to submit to God. We resist that. We assert our autonomy. Uh, and, and I see tendencies in myself, and I see things when I'm so disappointed with myself, and I, I wonder why sometimes does it seem so easy to do what's wrong and so difficult to do what's right? What is it? I, I wish I didn't struggle with that. I wish that weren't a problem for me. I wish that it didn't rise up and I found that selfishness or pride in me that, I, I, that embarrasses me, that hypocrisy at times. All of these happened in an instant when life changed when our first parents chose to disobey and rebel against God. And we inherited that rebellious spirit this is one thing, kids, you can blame your parents for. You got it from them. And uh, it manifests itself in such an ugly way. In, fa- in fact, it manifests itself in the first uh, family that when we get into chapter 4 of Genesis, we find two brothers who are going to make offerings and worship God. And God says to Cain, I don't accept your offering. And he says to Abel, I accept your offering. And and Cain is so angry. He's so jealous of his brother that instead of making things right and seeking to please God, what he does is he he goes, lures his brother out uh, to the field and murders him. First family 
and things have never improved. And we look at life and we see the, the, how, how people respond and we recognize how terrible it is. And, and then on top of that, there's a, uh, there's a, Jesus, Jesus' own comment on this is, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so people left to themselves uh, have these tendencies in them, whether they enact or whether they act upon them entirely or not, that's there. And uh, so we, we face physical also and spiritual death. And, and in in uh, Genesis 2.17, it says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Satan says, no, you're not, you won't die. Don't worry about that. Don't, don't, don't listen to that. That, that doesn't meet any, mean anything. And then we skip forward three chapters and we read this. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. So you thought, you know, hey, I'm not dead yet. No, you will die. And we have a list in Genesis 5 of all the people and their ages from generation to generation, and they died, and they died, and they died, and they died. And, and we live in a world where all of us will die, and everyone dies uh, because of that. We, we've had uh, a number of funerals lately. We've had some heartbreaking, difficult times. Um, hearing groaning, the, 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 the whole environment, the whole earth groans, but people groan. I've had, I've had a number of people say, oh, I just wish, I wish the Lord would take me. Uh, the, the grief, the sorrow is so deep and so prevailing in my life. And uh, there's, this, there's this understanding that all of us will die. But beyond that, there's spiritual death. Something happened terribly in that case that we would become spiritually dead, irresponsive to God. When I was in college, I don't know how somebody got my name, but they found out that I played the organ and it was, uh, I think it was the largest uh, funeral home in London. And uh, they said, you know, our organist is going to be off for a couple weeks in the summer. Would you would you mind filling in? Would you be willing to do that? Because I was a poor student. I'd do anything to make a couple of dollars. And I said, sure, I'll do that. And so I remember this experience of uh, coming in and where the organ was in this little alcove and the drapes would be pulled across here when the family would have their final viewing and they would close the casket and begin the service. So I was, I was privy to what went on as people made their last farewells. And so we're sitting there, and, and I'm playing, and I'm watching, and I'm assuming there's a, it's a woman, and I'm assuming it's her father by age difference and whatnot. And she, she's stroking her father's hand and quietly expressing her grief, and it gets a little louder, and it gets louder, and it gets louder, and now I see the, 
the funeral director is real fidgety and he's not sure, you know, what to do. And now she's just about pulling her father out of the casket. And she's, she's, now you can hear everything that's going on on the other side of the curtain. And they finally got that settled down. And I thought, that's a picture of us spiritually outside of God unresponsive, spiritually dead. You can shout and scream at us, but there's nothing in us that resonates with that. We're spiritually dead. What a terrible, terrible thing. How tragic and sad. Totally incapable of responding to God, mired in pain and hurt and sorrow and division, and there's no way out. And the question comes back, why Christmas? What's the big deal with Christmas? How come we have to celebrate Christmas? How, do, how come people who aren't Christians get time off and have to do Christmas things at their work and that kind of thing? And we see something about this, that the world is broken and we're broken and we need something, we need something that, that to be done and we can't do it ourselves. And Christmas is the answer to that tragedy. God's response God's response to all of that was Christmas. Guys, you can come up now. Um, we, said, we said there is uh, hope in Christmas, that God holds out something for us in Christmas. As the story was being told in Matthew's gospel, it said that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give to birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sin. <laughs> Jesus, Savior, the one who can restore that relationship to him to God. He's the one to provide forgiveness. He, he's the one who would be able to achieve what we couldn't achieve to bring us back to himself. And he would do that by sending his son, God the Son, to earth, to be born of a human, to live an absolutely perfect life, to, to be able to offer his life as a sacrifice, to satisfy the justice of Almighty God and that he would die on a cruel cross to pay the penalty for our rebellion and sin so that God could forgive us and accept us and bring us and welcome us into his family and to grant us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he would conquer death once and for all. And by grace, he gives us this new spiritual birth. You who were dead in trespasses and sins and all that ugliness, and now we find out, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us made us alive in Christ. And your life can be transformed and and. Christmas isn't just some imposition on our schedules and our bank accounts. Christmas is God's answer 
to all of the ugliness that happened when we rebelled against him. And, and there should be a longing in our heart for that. There should be something that cries out as they did in scripture. How long, O oh Lord? How long till you fix things fully and totally? And here we are, uh, having love reaching out to us through God, believing that we can receive forgiveness and acceptance through a free gift that he gave us that we couldn't earn, we couldn't manufacture, we couldn't make it our way. All we could do is accept what he has given to us and humbly receive that as a gift by putting our faith and our trust in him. And we have, uh, we have in this season of Advent, it's, it's a longing and a yearning for Christ to come. It, we celebrate not only the, the coming of Christ initially to earth, but the second coming of Christ when he will tidy up and correct everything that needs to be done. And so we groan at times in this life and in this world. And we say, how long, O Lord? And we express that. And we're going to express that in song right now.
You may be seated. Because we're not gonna we're not gonna just leave it there as well. See, you may look at your life and say, you know what, what what Kevin is talking about is what I need in my life. And and I want to say to you, you can open your heart to the love of God. And and if there's anything, any impulse to that, know that you couldn't do that by yourself. Only he can do that. He makes us alive in Christ. Jesus said, you need to be born again. You need a spiritual birth, and only he can do that. And, and if you sense this, this tugging, and, and, and you're looking at your life and realize that here you are before a holy and an awesome God, and you have no standing, he is, he is calling you to come to him. In Genesis, he went looking for his wayward children. And he does too. Jesus said, uh, when he talked about Nicodemus uh, or uh, Zacchaeus, he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and if you are far from God, I want you to know he is seeking you and by his Holy Spirit is present with us, calling you to come to himself. And I want you to know that if that's happening and you need some uh, someone to talk to, I want to encourage you to, to come and talk to us after the service. We'd be delighted to, uh, to share with you in that. You say, there's something I don't get. If Jesus came to fix it, and we've put our faith and trust in him, how come we still have problems? How come there's still challenges and difficulties? Well, though he, though he accomplished everything, the fulfillment of it all won't necessarily happen until he comes back in a second time. And so there's this future part of it. And uh, I want to just give you a little bit of a, a, a picture. Let's just pull back the curtain for a moment and see what uh, he says. Or, or not. Or I'm going to read it from Scripture. <laughs> Oh, thank you, thank you. Here's what John says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. You want me to do it? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's what we have to look forward to. And and. All of that may not come now, but that is waiting for us as well. And it gives us courage and strength. And it's something that we celebrate. And so we're singing one more song, okay? Is that okay? We're singing one more song. Let's do it.
Praise be to God. If you need prayer or someone to support you, there are going to be some people up here as well. We'd invite you to, to come up uh, after, we, after the prayer, and we'd be happy to have someone talk to you and pray with you and encourage you. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity of sharing and, and getting this bigger picture of why Christmas is at the start of the human drama of what you would do to make everything right that has gone so badly wrong. Thank you for that. And we receive and rejoice in our Savior and what he has done for us. And I pray that you would help us to live faithfully and joyfully for him. And Father, in a world that is so messed up in so many ways, Lord, we hold, we hold the key. The hope is in Jesus. And so help us to share liberally uh, our Savior and what he has done for us with others. Now, Father, I pray that you would release us from this place into our homes and into our community and our workplace and school that we would be shining lights and examples and good ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And we pray that your hand would be upon us, that we would walk faithfully before you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.